It is great to see all of you here. Uh, I think I told some of you uh, a few weeks ago my wife is pregnant. I think I told you that. Yeah, we just found out that it's a girl. So we're very excited about that. We're very excited about that. And uh, so I wanted to uh, be able to share that with you today. Uh, I think all of you should have gotten a copy of my brand new book that's out, right? You got that? Great. Great. Hopefully you'll be clapping after you read it. Um, so... <laughs> So I hope uh, I hope you you uh, you enjoy it. Um, when I was 18, uh, my dad uh, bought me a car. Well, he wanted to buy me a car because I was starting college, and since it took me an extra year to graduate high school, this was a kind of a big deal um, that I was going to start college. So he told me to uh, go check out some cars, some used cars, and then that um, the next day he once we kind of I narrowed it down, he'd come with me and we'd uh, we'd pick out the you know get the car. And so, um, you know, we went to a couple, uh, I went to a couple of different places and, um, I saw one that I really liked and, uh, now you got to understand that at the time, um, it was like 1993. Okay. So this is a, it was a, it was a, it's been a while, but, uh, I saw this purple low rider pickup truck. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was like, I don't know, three, four inches off the ground. It was like purple, purple, you know, and, um, now it had over a hundred. It, it was just like four years old. It had over a hundred thousand miles on it. I didn't really care, um, and uh, all I could think about was uh, just picture myself driving down the road, blasting this music. Because you know how in most pickup trucks there's like kind of an area in the back for people to sit. Well, there was no nowhere to sit because the person who owned this car before had installed these humongous speakers in there, and so that's all I could think of was just driving down the street and blasting this music. And uh, so I took my dad to see it the next day, and, and he took a good look at it, and he said, um, well, you know, Robert, did you notice that there's like a giant crack in the windshield? And I'm like, you know what? I didn't notice that. That's so weird. Uh, I didn't notice it. And he says, um, also, have you noticed that there's like dents all over this car, like it's been in a war? And I said, well, I didn't notice that, but have you seen the speakers inside? And he said, okay. Uh, have you all, did you also notice that the passenger door doesn't open? And I said, um, well, everybody can just get in through my side and uh, we can listen to them anyway. So um, needless to say, I didn't notice any of that stuff. All I noticed is that it was kind of this low rider pickup. And uh, I mean, you know, and, and so we ended up getting a different car that day. And uh, I was in such need of direction in my life that day. Uh, if not, I would have ended up driving around this like cracked window Barney mobile all through college. And, uh, and, and yet here's the thing is that we all need that in our lives. As someone who can come alongside of us and, and, get, and share wisdom with us that keeps us from making these really bad decisions. But there, there's something else as well that's really important. And that is not just that we want someone to give us good advice because Dr. Phil gives good advice, but we need something more than just that. You see, we want something deeper than that, because if you're here and you're a Christian, then what you want, um, you want to know what is it that God wants you to do. So it's more than just, hey, I just want some advice. You want to know what it is that God wants you to do. You want to know what God's will is. And listen, in all of my years as a Christian, in all of my years in ministry, in serving the Lord and serving God's people, uh, this is the number one question that I get. 
And it comes in various ways and it comes at various times and it comes in different, you know, shapes and forms. But it comes, this, the question is, what is God's will for me? And listen, there's a reason why we're so confused about God's will. And it's because the reason we're so confused about what God's will is and what we don't know is because we are unaware of what God has already said. And so, because here's the truth is that 90% of the questions that we have about what God's will is actually would go away if we simply learned what the scriptures had to say. And that is what God has already said about a myriad of topics and a myriad of subjects. That's why the Bible says, and I put it in your notes, uh, it says this in Psalm 119, 105. It's one of those verses that has um, meant so much to me in my life. And it says this, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, the other issue that we have with understanding God's will is that we use the term God's will too loosely. And so what I want to do is really narrow down what we're talking about when we're talking about God's will. And it's really God's will is three specific things. If you're taking notes, number one is this. We're talking about God's sovereign will, his sovereign will. That is, there's stuff that God does simply because he's God. No amount of prayer, no amount of asking, no amount of whining, no amount of begging God is going to change what God is going to do because He has decided and that's it. There's this, a simple verse, I put it in your notes. It says this in Galatians 4.4. It says, but when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And that seems like a very simple verse. But here's the thing. It has huge implications as to what that means. You see... Jewish people throughout history prayed for God to send the Messiah. In fact, there was a prayer that Jews prayed daily for them to, for, for God to send the Messiah that particular day or the, or the next day. And, and yet, here's what the Bible says, that when the time was right, that there was this predetermined time that God had set sovereignly. He didn't actually talk to anybody about it. He didn't consider anybody else when it came down to it. That here's what he did. There was this moment that he picked and he said, this is the right time. No amount of prayer is going to change it. No amount of people asking is going to change it. There's a particular time. And that's the time that I'm going to send. It's his sovereign will. He does it at that time because he's God and that's it. There's, but there's also... Now, here, here's the thing that's important too. Um, is that we can get upset about this kind of stuff or we can just accept it now. And we can spend our lives getting mad at God because God didn't do this or whatever. But listen, here's the best thing we can do is accept that there's some things that God's going to do because sovereignly he's decided and we just have to accept that. I'll talk a little bit more about that later and some things that have happened in my own life. But um, now let me tell you the second thing. The second thing is not only is there God's sovereign will, number two is there's God's moral will. God's moral will. God's moral will is all the stuff that the Bible talks about. That is, this is the stuff you don't even have to pray about. This is the stuff that God's already shared what his thoughts are on the subject. And so if someone's thinking, you know, I'm really going to pray about whether I should pay taxes next year or not. Right. You don't have to pray about that. Uh, if not, you'll be praying from inside of prison. But um, but but here's the thing. This is what God says. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. See, God is God's already talked about it. So if you're saying, well, you know, what, you know, what about like sex before you get married? Right. I mean, because that, you know, taxes. Well, let's maybe bring a little closer to home. Um, and so what, what about sex before you get married? You see, God already has something to say about that. And, and what he has to say is this. And I put it in your notes in, in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another. For God will surely judge people who are immoral 
and those who commit adultery. Uh, in, in the, I put the next verse there, too, um, in case you're still unsure, is uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, what is that? God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. And so the point is, is that there's moments where we think that... Now, the reason that we struggle is because we, we think that, well, we know what God has said, but we're hoping that God will give us, like, an override, you know, uh, that we'll think, well, I know what I've said for everybody else. But God, you know, we know each other, right? I'm just hoping you can give me like a pass on this one. Right? And, and that's, what, that's what we're thinking will happen. And, and somehow, you know, we think that God's going to speak to us and be like, you know, I know I said you shouldn't have sex before you get married, but you two seem to really like each other. Go ahead and do it. I'm okay with it. You know, like, that's not going to happen. But sometimes we think it is going to, like, you know, but, you know, what if I really, really pray about it? No, God has already spoken about it. And God is always going to speak in a way that's consistent with the Bible. And that's why if we spend time in God's Word, here's what will happen. We, most of our questions will be answered, and we'll know most of the time what it is that God wants us to do. And we'll be able to walk confidently, knowing and making the decisions that we know. Listen, according to what God says, I know that this is the right thing for me to do. But now, what about when you have two job offers and there's nothing in the Bible that speaks directly to one? Like, you know, one is go to work for a charity, the other is go to work for the mafia. Like, right? That's an easy decision, right? Uh, because, you know, like that, that's, that's a real easy decision. But what happens if it's well, I have the opportunity and one is to move to one city and the other is to move to another. I've got, we want to, my wife and I want to buy a house, you say, and, but then we've got this one house and there's the other house. And how do I know really what the right thing to do is there? And see, this is where we're going to talk about this, this third issue, this third area of God's will and what we call God's personal will. This is the, the areas that we're praying about that we want God to lead us. Now, the, where we, what happens for us many times is that we tend to run here first without asking ourselves the question, is this an issue of God's sovereign will? Is this an issue of God's moral will? And here's the thing that, that is really important for us, and that is the more familiar that we become with God's sovereign will, that is understanding how God works, and the more obedient we become to God's moral will, that is doing what God has already said the easier it will become to understand and know God's personal will. So now the question is, if we can kind of drill down a little deeper into this topic, and that is, um, how does God reveal His personal will for our lives to us? How, how does He do that? The passage that we're going to look at in, in the book of Romans, as we've been working our way through this book of Romans, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, uh, and if you would, you can open your Bibles with me to... Um, uh, to Romans chapter 12, which is where we're going to be, we're going to look at the quintessential passage for understanding and knowing God's will. And the thing is this, and this is the key, what this text is going to show us, it's not going to be like a decoder ring like you got in, in, in your Captain Crunch box. It's going to allow you to understand, have this all the secret knowledge. No, instead, what this verse is going to teach us is, this is who God wants us to become so that we can hear God speaking His will to us. That's the, the thrust of this passage in particular. In fact, um, at the end, when, when we work our way through, we're just going to look at two verses today. But when we work our way through these verses, here's what the end of verse 2 says. This is, once we work our way through, this is the end. It'll say this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
So once we work our way through these three things that we're going to look at, these three facets of who God wants us to be so that we can hear his will, at the end of that, the Bible says, then we'll be able to test and approve. Test and be able to know what God's will is. So here's where we're going to start in Romans 12 in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I mentioned three things that I want to show you this morning in these two verses that we're going to look at. But here's the first one. The first one is this, is that the kind of person who knows the will of God is this, is number one, I need to submit to God. I need to submit to God. Listen, the, re, the, the key to knowing God's will is the decision beforehand that you're going to submit to God's will and do God's will no matter what on the front end. That you're not going to hear, well, what does God want me to do? And then you're going to hear it and then take it under advisement as to whether you do it or not. And you're just going to throw it into the pot of, well, I got a lot of good advice from all these different people and we'll see which one I, I decide to do. Instead, listen, the reason that most people don't know what God wants them to do is because they haven't done what God has told them to do in the past. And they just get in this habit of disobedience and that is, is what creates the problem. Now, I want you to understand, and I want to back up for a moment, because this issue of understanding God's will didn't just come upon us, right, all at once. Um, what happens is, is that, and I want to give you kind of the framework of Romans and, and how we've gotten to this place to where we are right now. Um, Paul begins in Romans chapter 1 talking about this idea of the gospel, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the first eight chapters of Romans is him just unpacking this idea of what the gospel is and how the gospel um, and, and, and the, the work of Jesus on the cross and how he forgives and saves, how that works in our lives in every area of our lives. That it's not by how good we are, it's by how good he is. Now... The, the question becomes, is that after the first eight chapters, well, didn't all this come through the Jewish people, right? Jesus was Jewish, came through the line of David, right? So what has, what's, what's happening with the Jewish people? And so chapters 9, 10, and 11 become this framework for him of explaining now what God is doing with the Jewish people. Now, at that point in time, which now brings us to chapter 12, as he finishes that conversation, where now he's going to take these, the, the, this, the first 11 chapters, he's explained that, and now we're going to move into this third section in Romans, which is the practical application. And so everything that we're talking about from here on in is just the practical day-to-day -day living of how do you make that work as you're going through, uh, as, as you're going through life. And that's why he begins by, he says, therefore, in light of everything that we've just talked about in chapters 1 through 11, in light of everything, I beseech you. And I, I, I like that term. I know it's an old English term. Um, but basically, I beseech you is like saying, I'm begging you. Therefore, I'm begging you to do what? What does he ask him to do? Therefore, I'm begging you to live, at, to, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, we ha sometimes have this wrong idea of sacrifice. And um, I, as I said, my wife is, is pregnant and... Um, I've been trying to be a little more proactive at home. And so the other day I told, um, I, I told my wife and, and the kids and I said, hey, don't worry, about it. I'm going to make breakfast this morning. And so I said, I'm going to cook eggs. Um, and uh, I've been, so I've been cooking a little more at home, much to the disapproval of my kids. Um, but I decided to make eggs. And, um, and, and, you know, like, see, 
I, I don't really like to cook, which is why I don't. But I decided that I was going to cook that day. And what ended up happening was, see, I didn't know. I was under the impression that if you just turned it on high, it just meant that it cooked faster, um, which isn't really true. Um, you see, because that stuff starts to burn. And so what I would do is I'll be like, oh, I need to cook these fast. So I just put the thing on high and I just slap some eggs down. And then I started doing something else. And then I, truth be told, kind of forgot that I was cooking eggs. And um, and so anyway, so then stuff. So I just start. I wasn't planning on scrambling the eggs. But anyway, I did because the eggs started to burn. So I just started scrambling them up right there. And then I started serving them up to the kids and, and to, to, to my wife. And, and then I made a fresh batch for myself. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And then, but, um, but uh, you know, and so my wife sits down and she's got these eggs and they, they you know, the fire alarm's going off. And, and, uh, and, and she says, honey, once again, you've proven to me that you treat me like a goddess. And I say, well, why is that? She says, because you've once again provided me with another burnt offering. Um, and, uh, and, and now... Now, here's the thing. Now, here's the thing is that when we talk, when, when Paul talks about sacrifice or a living sacrifice, right, he is actually referring to the Jewish sacrificial system. Now, in uh, Leviticus chapters one through seven, and if you haven't, you haven't lived until you've read Leviticus one through seven, which is just riveting reading. Um, but it talks about all the different types of sacrifices that there are that the, the children of Israel will offer in uh, in the tabernacle and later in, in the temple. And there's several different ones that are mentioned. There's five different uh, offerings that are mentioned. And one is what's called the sin offering. So um, if you have sinned, you would bring the sin offering and then you would present it. And then, you know, um, you, th- there was a right way to do it. There was a fellowship offering. That is that m- there might be a moment where you're, you're just filled with joy, that you have fellowship with God, that things are okay between you and God, and you could actually bring an offering, and then um, you could put it on the altar, and then w- the cool thing about the fellowship offering is that some of it would be consumed, but then some of it you were able to eat. So it was like you having a barbecue with God. And uh, it'd be like, God, I'm just... We're able to share this together, and, and this, is, this is great. But, um, but then there was what was called the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was the offering of total consecration to God. You didn't get a piece of that one. That, that offering was totally consumed because you were essentially saying to God, God, as this sacrifice was on the altar, is how I'm presenting myself to you. I am 100% want to be consumed by you. I 100% I want to... Um, I, I, I want to dedicate myself to you totally, wholly, and completely. This is what Paul is referring to when he says that to, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. To be totally consumed, totally dedicated to God. Now, but what does it mean? I mean, I'm totally consumed, totally dedicated. But Paul gives us these three things that show us what it means to be a living sacrifice. Um, the first one is this in your notes, and we're going to take it right out of the text. But he says to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, holy. The, the, the Greek word there is the Greek word hagios, H-A-G-A-O-S. It means set apart, uh, set apart for a special purpose. Um, in our house, we have this cabinet that has all of this china that has been passed down from Carrie's family like forever, Right. And um, now we've been married, for, my wife and I have been married for now 14 and a half years or something. Um, right, thank you, thank you. Um, now, this is the interesting part though. We've used that china twice. 
okay, in, in, in 14 and a half years. Now, um, I have this thing that I want to do sometime, and that is that Carrie's going to go out, and then she's going to come home, and I'm going to be cooking hot dogs and serving them on the china. Uh, but, uh, but just as a joke, just as a joke, but I want to remain married, so I don't do it. Uh, and so, but the thing is, is that what, because the whole thing is like, you can't serve hot dogs on China that was, that was like bought by Carrie's family, like when Lincoln was president. Okay. You can't do that. All right. And so, and, 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 and this is the thing. And why? Because they're, it's set apart for a special purpose, Right. In fact, I mean, this is not even a joke. Like, the kids aren't allowed to, like, um, th- this, this cabinet's in our dining room. They can't, like, bounce uh, a ball around it. In fact, one day Mia was just looking at it. And she's like, Carrie's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just looking. She's like, are you sure that's all you're doing? Yeah, I'm just, just looking. All right, you've looked long enough. Move it along. Move it along. There's other stuff to look at. Don't look at that stuff too long. And, uh, and, and, and you know, and, and listen, it's... It, <laughs> I don't care. I'm like, you know, we've gotten to the point where the kids aren't even allowed to look at this china. Uh, it was just, just, you know, I mean, it's okay, I guess, but it's, it is a little weird. Um, but, but this is the thing. This is what the Bible says in, in, when it comes to us, right, as, as Christians. In, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's in your notes, says this, For God did not call us to, li- to be impure, but to live a holy life. To live a life that's set apart. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. So I'm not involved in just the common stuff, the worldly kind of stuff. No, no, no. I'm, I know that I'm set apart for a special purpose and service to God. But see, there, there's something else, too. And, and number two in your notes is that we're to, how to be a living sacrifice. Holy, number one. Number two, acceptable to God. Literally, that means in the Greek language, well-pleasing to God. Listen, for those of you getting baptized today, I want you to know that this is you, you, that you're in great company. Because this phrase, um, you know, well-pleasing to God, was used of someone when he was baptized. In fact, it was used um, when, when this person was going into the water saying, God, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, quite literally. It was when Jesus went into the water. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 3. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You see, my friends, baptism is a picture of someone who desires to be consumed. To be a living sacrifice. You go into the water consumed. And you come out, the Bible says in Romans 6, in the newness of life. The third one is this. He says, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Um, so the third point there is, reason, is, uh, is reasonable service. Literally, it could be read, it's your logical ministry. Another translation translates it, it's your spiritual act of worship. And this refers to the ministry of the priests in the temple, where they would wash themselves in such a way, dress in such a way, behave in such a way, so that they could serve in, in, in this very, very special way that they had been set apart for. You see, in, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this. It says, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. 
Listen, if you want to know God's will, here's the deal. Submit yourself to God. Dedicate yourself to God. Serve God with the whole heart. That's the kind of person whom God reveals his will to. And then in verse 2, he begins, and I'm going to read you just the first line, and then we're going to unpack that. And he says this in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Now pause there. Do not be conformed to this world. What, what, what does that mean? Let me give you the second point in the message. And that is, number one, if you want to be a person whom God reveals his will to, you've got to, number one, I need to submit to God. Number two is, I need insulation from the world. Insulation from the world. There's something that can happen when we become Christians that we go to one of two extremes. And I see both and sometimes, neither are really uh, healthy. There's, we, we either go the route of isolation or we go the route of contamination. What do I mean by that? Isolation says I can't be around anyone who's not a Christian. So I have to isolate myself from anything that is not 100% Christian. So I can only listen to Christian music, only listen to Christian radio. I can only watch Christian television. And once again, that's even questionable whether it's Christian or television. Um, I can only go to Christian supermarkets if there is such a thing and eat Christian mints. Uh, do you know that there are Christian mints? Let me tell you something about Christian mints. You know what the problem is with you know you know what the problem is with Christian mints? They are terrible. You ever try one of these things? They're horrible. I've always wanted to, for years. I've been meaning to write these guys a letter that the, uh, to tell them like the Bible says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good," not "Taste and see a stale air freshener." Um, but I don't think I can do that. But but now now here's the thing. There is a good side to this. The good side is is that when you're when you put yourself in this kind of environment. You're learning about God. You're, you're, you're knowing the Bible more. Um, you're definitely in a safe environment um, for, for your kids. But the problem is, is that you, with this position, is that it eliminates any chance of God using you to reach someone who doesn't know the Lord. So here's what, so, so now, so isolation, well, that, that's got its problems. So here's sometimes what happens is you flip all the way on the other side to the place of uh, what we would call contamination. Now, here, here's the problem with contamination. I used to be in a Christian band that was fairly popular, and so when we toured the country, um, I would see this side a lot. And this was uh, this happens, I think, a lot of times with you know young people um, because they they really want to make being make being a Christian seem like something cool. Um, and if you're trying to make being a Christian cool, wow, you're really in for a lot. Um, but here's the, so this is what would happen is, but we would go play these shows, and we would you know there'd be these people who say they were Christians, but you know, they'd be cussing up a storm and drinking and, you know, hanging out in really bad environments, all in the name of keeping it real. Um, and, and the whole strategy was is that you could show whoever's there that isn't a Christian that you can be a Christian and still be cool or, or whatever. And, um, and then eventually, at some point, you'd have this opportunity to talk about your faith. But listen, by that time, you're so compromised in what you've said is okay because you're trying to make all these things acceptable and while you're still trying to hold on to your faith that you never really have any kind of impact um, as as a believer. And listen, this this happens and you say, yeah, that's kind of silly. But listen, do you know that we do this too? That we, we do this. Listen, when a guy or a girl decides that they're going to date someone who isn't a Christian and they say, well, here's what I can do. I can date them and then we'll say we're going to go on a date, but we'll end up at church. 
And then, like, we'll say, you know, and, and then maybe we'll, like, read the Bible or something. And, and then, like, as we're dating, they'll come to know Jesus through, through you know, through that. And, and listen, um, do you know that there's, there, there's, there's missionaries in the Bible, but there's no missionary dating in the Bible, right? Like, there's no, like, and then the Apostle Paul went on a date with Jezebel. You know, it's like there's no verse like that, right? And she went from worshiping Satan to worshiping the Lord over, you know, a falafel or something, you know? There's nothing like that. Why? Because it doesn't work. Because here's the thing that happens, and I see this happen over and over and over again. You have a well-meaning Christian that does care about someone or maybe even is attracted to someone who's not a Christian. And so they now try to create some kind of relationship. And what ends up happening is not that the person who's, uh, who's not a Christian draws closer to God. It's that the person who is a Christian starts pulling away from God because they, they start living in compromise. You know, because here's the thing. While there is no missionary dating in the Bible, there is very clearly the call for Christians to not be unequally yoked or to be in this in relationships, um, you know, with with those who aren't believers. And, and so once again, it goes back to the moral will thing. If you understand what God's moral will is, then this personal will thing becomes very, very easy. Should I date someone who isn't a Christian? Well, God's already spoken um, about that. And besides the fact you're not going to reach anyone if you have to compromise your beliefs to actually, um, you know, like, be with them. And so what's the solution? Listen, the solution is this, that isolation has its problems and contamination is very harmful. But see, I believe instead that the solution is insulation. I grew up in Boston where the winters are very cold and very long. And, uh, and, and, and here's the thing that happens is that one of the keys, and I remember when my mom and my stepdad were going to buy the house that we lived in in, in Brockton, Massachusetts, and uh, we were looking around, and one of the things that my stepdad did is that he went up into the attic, he went down into the basement because he was looking to see how thick the insulation was. And that was one of, his, one of the big things was to find out um, how, how, how thick the insulation is because, when the, because what you're trying to do when, when you're in a cold environment is you're trying to keep the hot inside and you're trying to keep the cold outside. And as a, Christian, as a Christian living in this world, listen, we need to keep the truths of God in our hearts and the values of this world out. And so if every Christian decided that isolation was the answer, listen, none of us would be here if, you know, a generation before everyone had decided that. Because no one far from God would hear the gospel if everyone was just huddled together. Uh, but instead, you know, they'd all be listening to watching Christian TV and eating Christian mints all together. Um, but, but here's the thing. Instead, we intentionally look for opportunities where we can show people that, that God loves them, that Jesus died for them in a way that reaches them without compromising ourselves. That's what insulation is all about. And that's why Paul uses that term. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed is when you allow something to mold and shape you. Um, my wife used to, before we started the church, my wife used to have this, um, this cake decorating business. And so um, someone had given us all of these different, in my garage I still have most of them, but we have all of these different um, cake pans that you can pretty much, that, you know, you can bake all of these different types of cakes. And I remember one of the ones that we got, and it was all these different ones, but one is actually in the shape of a question mark. Like, and I remember asking Carrie, like, how do you market this? Like, you know, like, well, we're going to have a party. What kind of party is it? I don't know. 
I have exactly the kind of cake for you. You know, well, we're going to have, I'm going to have, a, you know, some guys, oh, I want to get a cake for my wife. How old is she? I don't know. I've got the cake for you, the question mark cake. That'll be perfect. But she had, she, but she had like this, que- this, and it just didn't make it. And, but listen, and that's the thing, is that the mold, because see, the, the, the cake batter, once it goes in, it will conform to any different type of mold. Um, once, it, once, it go, once it goes into the oven. And listen, this is where having friends who love God can help us so very much. When you have someone, you have a big decision to make, and you say, well, it's not a sovereign will issue. It's not a moral will issue. God doesn't speak about it, so what do I do? Well, I'm gonna, I, I know what God has said, so now I'm going to go to some friends, and, uh, and I'm going to talk to them about it, you know? And, uh, and as you talk to them about it, well, here's what happens. You, you, get, you get around a group of people, and you start asking them, you bounce the question off of them, and then, you know, you know what takes place is, is that because you, you, there's, there's the mold that's happening. The mold is taking place, and, and here's the thing, is that if you don't have a small group where you're involved in and you're growing, and you don't have a group of friends that, you can, that love God that you can ask them, and you aren't plugged into a church, then here's, listen, we will fall victim to anything that will begin to conform us into a particular mold. Instead, what we've got to do is get around people who love God. Get God's Word in our minds and in our hearts. So that that becomes the thing that conforms us. But see, the thing is, what the Bible says is that all these things are meant to conform us into the image of Jesus. Because if you're a Christian, that's what you want to be more like anyway, right? We want to be more like the God who saved us and who loves us. Well, then he goes on and look at what he says in verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the third point and then I'm done. And that is that I need the transformation of my mind. I need the transformation of my mind if I want to know God's will. Um, and that's why this whole thing, like we're all being affected by all this stuff. Like, um, I think I've told you in the past that my daughter is a huge Star Wars fan, right? She's like a Star Wars nut. Um, and um, she's seen all the movies except uh, she can't watch episode three, Revenge of the Sith, because I told her she can't watch it because it's too violent. And uh, but when she's older, she can. Um, so now we're watching the Clone Wars TV show, uh, which is the cartoon. So we're watching that. And so the other night we're at dinner and um, and she says to me, uh, she says, Bobby, after dinner, can we watch The Empire Strikes Back? And I my well, my first inclination was to say yes, because I really wanted to watch The Empire Strikes Back also. Um, I said no, because it would be too late. Um, and so because The Empire Strikes Back is over two hours long. And uh, and I said, well, let's just watch it. Tom- we'll watch it tomorrow. And she was like, oh, man, you know, and so and I'm like, listen, but here's what you can do when you go to bed. When you close your eyes, you've seen the movie enough times. You can just play the movie in your mind as you're falling asleep because you it's, it's you have it in, in your mind. And she says, yes, Bobby, but I need to get Star Wars into my heart. And uh, now I thought that was hilarious. Carrie, not so much, okay? She's like, Robert Franquist, do you see what you've done? Look at what you've done. She's like, Mia, Jesus is supposed to be in your heart, not Darth Vader, you know? And, uh, and, and then she turns back to me, and she's like, what have you done to our children? And I said to her, I said, I'm not the person you're looking for. I can go about my business. Move along. Anyway. Unfortunately, Jedi mind tricks don't work on her. 
Um, but here's the thing. Now, I did realize, <laughs> I did realize that I probably needed to turn the heat up on like some Bible memorization and some things like that. So now this is a couple. We've got like there's a Bible verse every week on our wall uh, or on our fridge, and she has to write it out. So she writes out the Bible verse, and then you know. So um, this past week was First um, uh, John four eight. You know, God is love. Right, that's easy enough. And so next week is going to be Matthew twenty two. You know. Uh, well, I'm simplifying them. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to simplify that to be love God, love others. And so you can feel free to take that. I don't have copyright on that. Um, so now, and so she's very excited about that. Now, part of the reason she's very excited is I told her I was training her to be a Bible Jedi. So <laughs> we're mixing it in. So, um, so <laughs> I really did say that, though. Um, because I realized like how much she could she could um, I got her the soundtrack to uh, the the star the Star Wars one of the uh, to uh, the episode one uh, soundtrack and so I play it and I'm like and I'll say what happens here and she'd be like oh this is the part where Anakin is riding the pod racer and I'm like wow I didn't even really know that and then I looked at the name of the song it was called like Anakin rides the pod racer and I'm like wow that's really good and so and then I realized like she can really handle a lot more so we've been creating this game where I start I tell her certain things about a Bible story, and she has to tell me what Bible story it is. So, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, little guy kills big guy with a rock. You know, okay, that's David and Goliath. You know, uh, one guy builds a boat, lots of water, everybody gets killed. Well, we kind of eliminate the everybody gets killed part. Um, some of these kids, some of these kids' stories are like a little, you know, and then all the animals came. You know, it's like you read the children's Bible, and, the, you know, the children's Bible doesn't give you like the whole story. Um, like, and then all the animals came, and then Noah fled to safety. And then, you know, it's like, you know, and then, honey, God killed all the evildoers. Good night, sweetheart. You know, doesn't give you that part, but we're okay. We'll talk about that. That's in the episode three part. Um, now, the point of it is this. The point of it is this, is that whatever we put into our minds begins to transform us. And we don't might not think that, but it's true. It begins to, to uh, you know, just... To, to, to change us. In fact, that term uh, where he says, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word is, um, it's the Greek word metamorphamu or, or metamorphome. Uh, it's where we get our term, obviously, metamorphosis. That we're, tr- by the renewing of our mind, we experience a metamorphosis, a transformation. And that comes by changing the way that we think. Because when we change the way that we think, our actions will soon follow after. And that's why what, what happens very practically is, is that when we fill our minds with the things of God, and we've got to be intentional about it, none of this happens by accident because there's so many distractions. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, and uh, you might think like, you know, Bob, you know, whatever. But listen, um, morning talk radio, okay, is an absolute waste of time. All right. Uh, and oh, but I like Paul and young Ron and whatever. Listen, you can like them as much as you want. It's still an absolute waste of time because these guys, they've made a career talking about nonsense. And I'm not just picking on them. You can, you know, decide, you know, whatever. Like if you decide tomorrow morning, you listen, I'm going to wait and listen to I want to hear something of real substance. You will be waiting for the rest of your life because the whole thing is to just kind of 
hook you into this and to get you to the next commercial break because there's nothing there of, of, of real substance. And then what happens is, is that we, but we'll listen to that all the way to work. And then when we talk about like knowing God's word, we'll say, oh, but I just don't have any time to read the Bible. Really? And you, you got a half an hour drive to and from work and you own an iPod that plugs into your car that you could download an audio Bible and, and listen to it. And, and, you know, and in a couple of weeks, you could be through the New Testament um, and, and then, you know, within a month, probably have listened to the entire Bible. But instead of hearing the voice of God, you heard Paul and young Ron. And I'm, I'm, I'm I, listen, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they're probably not going to change your life. Right. And, and, and listen, and it's the same thing that happens. We do this with TV. And I mean, it's not. And listen, I own a television. It's not like, you know, I think television is of the devil. I don't even I don't listen to Christian radio or Christian television because I actually want to walk with God. Um, be, uh, and, you know, because I and I, I want to keep my television, too, because when I watch Christian TV, I end up throwing things at the TV. Um, and so uh, so that's why I don't listen to it or watch it. But here's the thing. So. But here's what happens. Oh, but I don't have time in the morning, right, to read the Bible or to pray or or to to read a book that that's going to help my spiritual life. But we stay up late to watch Letterman. Like, really? Like stupid dog tricks. That's what we're staying up for. And so it's like, well, I could watch that, you know, but but what if you did this? What if you cut out stupid dog tricks, which, by the way, it's not like if it's even false advertising. He's already telling you they're stupid and we stay up to watch them. And then, but here's what we could do. Instead, maybe we could go to either either go to bed early or just turn off the TV and grab our wife's hand and, and, and read the scriptures or, or start talking about the things that, that God's doing in our lives. And listen, here's what can happen. We start getting God's word in our heart. And listen, we start learning about what God has done in the past in the scriptures. And even more importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, we're learning what God is like. Because this is one of the big issues when you start reading the Bible or when you're a new Christian. You're like, I have this big decision to make. I don't know what to do. When you're a brand new Christian, here's the, here's the problem. You, you haven't walked with God long enough yet to know what God is like. And so you're a little unsure. Well, should I do this? And is God going to come through and, and all this? And, and here, this is one of the things that happens is as you just make it a point to say, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to make my way through the entire Bible because I want to get the entirety of Scripture so that I can really know what God is like you start learning his character and nature and when you do you begin to learn what god wants you to do in situations because it's the way that he would respond and when you fully give yourself to god as a living sacrifice when you insulate yourself from this world not isolate yourself but when you insulate yourself from this world when you transform your mind by filling it with god's word then here's what the bible says then you're going to be able to know you're going to be able to prove what God's will actually is. Because here's what Jeremiah would say. This is God speaking. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, when you make it your number one desire in life to please God, knowing God's will will be much easier because here's what he's going to do. He's going to write it on your heart. And with his will written in your heart, you will be able to follow the desires of your heart. Because listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's two things being said here. Not only 
Will he give you the things that your heart desires? But listen, the verse is also implying that he will put desires in your heart that you never thought you would want. Isn't that interesting? You will put things, he will put things in your heart that you never thought. There will be things that you want to see happen that you thought, I, I didn't even know that that was in me. It wasn't. But when you delight yourself in him, when you make it your desire to know him, he will put these things in your heart. Um, Augustine, who was, uh, or some call him St. Augustine, who was one of the greatest theologians of the church, he lived in the 4th century A.D., um, the, his students, his disciples asked him, and they said, what is the secret of knowing God's will? And Augustine, who was a giant with intellect, he said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. And do whatever you want. Think about that. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And do whatever you want. Now, Listen, now some people say, I thought this in my own heart. I didn't even want, I thought not even to share this. And I just felt prompted that I should. And the reason is because isn't that dangerous? You t- Bob, you're telling people to do whatever they want. And, and is it dangerous? Not if you're seeking God, seeking to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Listen, if you're just giving God lip service and you're going to do whatever you want, ever you want, let me promise you, your life will be a total disaster. Um, and, and you can't blame God for it. But listen, but to love God and to seek him with all of your heart, he will put desires in your heart that you couldn't have possibly come up with yourself. And when you have those desires in your heart that come from him and when you act on those divinely inspired desires... You're going to be walking in his perfect will and his perfect plan for you. And if you try to do something, well, what if I'm loving God, but then I try to do something that isn't his will? Well, here's what the Bible says in Revelation 3. He says, I open doors that no man can shut and I shut doors that no man can open. So you say, well, I think this is what God wants and I'm going to try to walk through the door. Slam, the door closes. I guess that wasn't what he wanted me to do. I'm going to. Do something else because my goal here is simply to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm just going to walk. And if God will open the door, then I'm, going to, then I'm going to keep walking. But listen, knowing God's will begins with knowing God. Not just knowing things about God. Not just being in environments where this is kind of taught or talked about. But instead, it's about knowing God. I mean, really knowing Him. Because if you want to know God's will, the place to start is actually knowing Him. And so listen, as we close this morning, here's what I want to do. I, I want to give you um, a moment. All eyes here, right here. You've seen people sit down before. It's not a shock, okay? Just focus here. Listen, I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a moment where maybe you're here and you haven't... Um, and you've, you've said, man, I've, I've known things about God. There, maybe you're here and you say, I've, I went to church as a kid, um, and, you know, but I don't know if I really know God. But, you're, you're, but, Pastor, what you're talking about, that God wants to speak to us, that God wants to use us, that God wants to direct us, that God actually cares about the decisions that we make, that he's a, he's a personal, loving God in that way. That's not the God that I heard about. Listen, that's not only who God is. That's the God who died for us. When Jesus died for us, when he sent that God was so 
interested in our present and our future and our eternity. That He took care of the sin in our past and in our present and in our future when He sent His Son to die for us. And so if you're here this morning or now this afternoon and you say, I've never known that, but I want to know what God wants for me. Here's the thing. Here's what the Bible says. God's desire is for all men to be saved. So if you're here and you don't know God, listen, that's, you can know this, that this is the first order of business, that God's desire for you is for you to know Him, for you to be forgiven of your sin, for you to be forgiven of the past that weighs you down, of your present circumstances and of an uncertain future. And so if that's you, then I, as we close, I just want to pray for you and give you an opportunity to pray and call out to God because I know this, that if you call out to Him, He'll hear and He'll act. So let's pray together. And God, we want to thank You so much. We thank You for Your goodness in our lives. And I pray for every person here today that wants to know Your will, I pray that You would reveal it to them. That every one of us really would be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to You, which is our reasonable service. That we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, for those of us that are here that maybe we've never made a decision to follow you, that we didn't know that your desire is for all men to be saved, for each of us to know you in a personal way, to be forgiven because of what Jesus has done, then God, I pray that this moment would be one where that you would hear those of us who call out to you and experience your forgiveness. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, for those of you that want to make a decision, to follow Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. And so what I want to do is just lead you in a prayer that um, maybe articulates what your heart wants to say to God. It's not a magic formula, but instead, I believe they might express that which your heart desires to share. So if this is your moment, and you say, that's me, then I want to just invite you to pray this out loud, and there's going to be a whole lot of people praying it out loud as well. Just say, dear God, I open my heart, and I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus, who died for me, that I might have life. I want to know you, starting right now, in Jesus' name. Amen.